Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Okay, we're going to talk about The Fall, which the season two premieres on January 16th on Netflix. It's already run in England where uh, where it originated. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, obviously, it's got some dark themes. I know we just did a podcast on Black Mirror. Um, <laughs> but it was nice to see Gillian Anderson back on TV. I cannot believe that The X-Files premiered more than 20 years ago. She plays an investigator, and the uh, first season of The Fall uh, shows us a serial killer, and she's looking for the serial killer. That synopsizes the first season, but it's so, so well done. And I also, it reminded me that long ago, 20 years ago, it, whenever it was a whodunit, you know, you never knew who did it until the end. It was like, okay, here are all the clues, and all the way along whatever show or movie you're watching, you're guessing who did it, who did it, who did it. And now, watching the person who actually did it, as well as the people investigating it, there's still so much tension, even though you already know who did it. <laughs> you, know, it's like, you bring up a really good point. I totally, yeah. I totally agree because the structure really appeals to me that you have this cat and mouse structure yep. with yep. two very strong characters hunting, you know, almost one another. Yeah, and, almost. Um, they made her character very interesting that she's got this predator-like side to her. So, for example, in I think it might have been the very first episode, a junior police officer is driving her to a crime scene. And they're driving by the yellow police tape, and she looks out the window, and she sees the cute police officer. And she just says, who's that? By the that? way, I don't think he's so cute, just so you know. Well, then I they guess you weren't so devastated. Plot spoiler number one of this podcast when he's blown to bits at the end. But um, she's driving by and says, you know, introduce me. And um, the way that the editor cuts, I think, is so interesting where they use that to great effect, where they're intersplicing scenes between her actions and his actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the same way she goes after the police officer, they splice in the serial killer going after his prey. And I find that very effective. Well, it's funny because I when they, when she says introduce me and we know that she's going to go up to him and solicit him to have sex with her, which is what she does, and he does. Um, to me, what it showed was she immediately assesses every single person she looks at and she puts them into whatever category uh, they belong because she's an investigator. And I have to say, you know, I'm in marketing, and when I go into a room, I immediately assess the people in the room and I determine who's for the marketing, who's against it. You know, I mean, I, I take a look at the person and sort of put them in my own silos of who they are as human beings. And an investigator has to do the same thing. They don't assess just what's in front of them. They assess what they think they're made of. And what's funny about it is after she has sex with him and then he asks for her number and she gives it to him, which is also sort of strange because she later says, I, I misread him meaning mm -hmm. she thought he was somebody who could have sex with her and walk away and not be involved, and clearly he wasn't. And I love that she said I misread him because she read him within three seconds of seeing him on the side of the road. And mm -hmm. I love that we know that now about her, that she looks at every single person and, and assesses them as she's walking by. 
And I think it was a great way of showing rather than telling you what her mental process is as she's looking at people. So she comes down from London, or I guess you should say, I should say she comes up from London since it's filmed in Belfast. When she meets with that man who's the head of the um, police there in Belfast, the bearded man, who I presume that was his wife when she goes to his house, and she's trying to make the argument to him that you need a lot of strength to strangle somebody with your bare hands, that it's very difficult to actually grasp and sustain, um, you know, that hold on a victim for that period of time to actually you know, deprive them of their last breath. It almost seemed, it reminded me, and I'm not sure why, about the original Thomas Crown affair where Faye Dunaway is playing chess. She had an affair with him. And it reminded me of, of course, in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Christine's <laughs> really going to make an analogy between the fall and Grey's Anatomy, but I am. Because in the last season of Grey's Anatomy, when we're saying goodbye to Christina Yang and she sees Burke again, and Burke screams at her in his office, you, you know, you, you consumed me, you sucked the life out of me, you know, uh, you know, I can't, I couldn't be in the same place with you again. Um, I sort of felt that way that this character has that Christina Yang quality of consuming the men around her, probably because she doesn't really need any of them. And for me, what I saw in her relationship with these men is, you know what, you know, I use them for my own for my own needs and that, but I don't really need them to live the life that I want to live. And, um, and while I would never want to be that woman, I do sometimes thank my lucky stars. We get to see women like that because generally what we see are women who are just on the search for the great guy who's going to make them feel good about themselves. So, so I liked that part of her that she doesn't need a man. She just, her body would like to be serviced by one. (laughs) Well, I read that Gillian Anderson did, um, she was influenced by Tennyson, um, the character played by Helen Mirren so brilliantly in Prime Suspect. Ah. Um, You know, that she does have this dark side to her. And it's, it's interesting to me because it's a dynamic that I have seen in other shows where now it seems that nowadays, whereas it used to be so unusual to have a female investigator, now we have it um, you know, occurring fairly frequently that we've got Rizzoli and Isles and a show that I loved, which um, you know, saw its demise shortly after the writer's strike, was Women's Murder Club, also starring Angie Harmon. Where I didn't when see she, that. Do I need to see that? You know, I loved it, and I, I was really looking forward to it, and then once the writer's strike happened, it, it never really got resurrected. And Angie Harmon comes into that police precinct on day one. She realizes that she's reporting to her ex-husband. And so it is, it's a definitely an interesting setup that you've got um, this past history coming into the present day. Interesting. Well, you know, even Carrie on Homeland, same kind of, you know, passionate personality who's committed to her work. But, you know, it's funny. Did you, um, you know, the part where she describes the killer, she's sitting toward the end of the first season. She's sitting there and she says, okay, I I love her description of him, which I think mirrors this thing where she assesses somebody in the instantaneous moment she meets him. Okay, she hasn't met the killers, or she doesn't realize she's not met the killer. So she has to to figure out who he is and put him in the silo herself based on what she's seen of what he does. So she says, he's intelligent, but undervalued. God, I thought that was genius. He's athletic and cocky, and he creates his own pornography. 
And those things were like, wow, you know, because we don't really get to see what motivates him. Why does he do this? We know that he grew up as an orphan, but we don't really know why he hates women or why he treats women this way. Certainly powerful women who seem to be quite independent. I thought I thought her assessment of them, I, I think, you know, intelligent but undervalued was just great. That's really fantastic. value on words. Yeah. Since you are such a huge Grey's Anatomy fan, um, the character, his wife, that actress, um, which character from Grey's Anatomy does she remind you of? Just in terms well, of she re- Yeah, she reminds me of the um, heart surgeon. I forget exactly. her name. And that's something else. It's kind of like um, the plot of the pilot's wife, where I always, that always works for me, um, this tension that's created where we have more information than she does, obviously. So we know, as you said, from the get-go that her husband is the serial killer. And yet when they portray him as a husband and as a father, it's not as apparent that he has this evil mind lurking. I don't think his mind is evil. He's a serial killer that actually has empathy. You know, Hannibal well, Lecter, Hannibal Lecter would never have loved his children that way. And that's what ups the creepiness factor for me is the stark yeah, contrast definitely. between definitely. him and the innocent. So for example, in the pilot where um, we meet the wife and she says she's getting into bed and they both have very decent jobs. So he works as a marriage counselor by day and with the bereft by night and she's a neonatal nurse. So, you know, they're out of the house conveniently at all hours. When she says to him, he's already lying in bed, you know, you could have warmed up my half of the bed, you evil man. And she's joking, obviously, and has no idea that he's been out committing murder. Well, one hopes she doesn't, yes. (laughs) One hopes she doesn't. Um, I love the fact that they said it in Belfast because I find that of all cities, if you had to come up with a city symbolically that could parallel this internal schism in a character, I mean, it's got a relatively high standard of living. And yet it's been obviously so torn apart by conflict and violence trying to seek peace with itself. And Mm -hmm. I find that in the character of Gillian Anderson, and, you know, even um, the serial killer, um, you know, it, it's not that he's a bad therapist. He seems like a good father. And yet when he comes home and you see his innocent little son sitting on the step saying, Daddy, where have you been? Later on in the season, and I, I don't know how far you got, but um, later on in the season, his life is unraveling. I mean, he gets fired from his night job. He's in trouble at work during the day. He's really not as functioning as you be, you think he is in the in the first few episodes, and I think the unraveling is, starts to take place where you, know, you look at a little kid and you can tell a little kid anything, and even the blatant way in which he takes the necklace from the woman that he's killed and puts it on his daughter and lets her wear mm-hmm. it to school, you know, shows a lack of smartness in terms of okay, how do you not get caught at something like this, you know? So he starts to unravel, uh, you know, and uh, maybe it's because he's a man who has empathy, you know. So he does feel badly for what he's doing, and you know, he gets more complex as as the season wears on. That's for sure. Something that they've established very well from the get go is the dynamic between the father and the daughter. So since we know that he journals about these murders where he draws his victims and actually keeps a book in the ceiling rafters, when the parents are called to the school for that parent-teacher conference, and the teacher says, and she's very concerned about the adorable little girl, that she's been telling these disturbing stories and drawing disturbing pictures, um, you do wonder, is there some kind of genetic connection to this dark, monstrous side? Well, of the it is funny, you know, because we don't see what she's seen that has really 
led them to that. So I, I find that I find that you know I find that a little disquieting. I hate to use that mm-hmm. word over and over again, many places, but I'm not sure. I guess I'm not sure what that little girl's doing in this, but I have a feeling we're not going to like it in the end, what she's doing in it. I think that, you know, she, the connection between the two of them is definitely haunting in a way. Um, and, I, and I can't help but, but wonder about it. And also, the truth is he's not really into his son. You know, his son, mm-hmm. he's, he's much less connected to his son than he is to his daughter. And um, I think that's sort of interesting too, but now can we also talk about, okay, the only thing I want to have a million things in common with Stella. I would like to be Stella in some ways. I really like her independence. What I have in common with Stella is that I love to swim and in every single episode we see her swimming. Now, is this foreshadowing? Is he going to get her in the pool? Like, uh, you know, please tell me. There is nothing to this other than that's how she washes away the ugliness with which she lives every day, that it's a metaphor for, okay, you got to swim to get rid of what's ever on you from where you've been all day. The cleansing What's sport. with the swimming? Do you have any idea, O'Toole, what the swimming has well, to do with it all? it's interesting because, of course, that's also the sport that they gave the Dominic West character in The Affair. And I think it does seem dramatic that as she puts on that bathing cap and the goggles and goes underwater, you are deprived of all the sounds and what's going on in her disturbing yep. world on the outside. Yep. You know, so it is a peaceful contrast where she's alone with her thoughts. Oh, I um, know, right? Mm-hmm. But, now, now, by the way, the guy who plays the murderer, the guy who plays um, oh Jamie Paul, Thornton. yeah, I just want to say that he is Fifty Shades of Grey. He's gray in Fifty Shades oh. of Grey, and he yes. really is from Belfast, so he's authentic. In that I sense know, as well. but also mm-hmm. when you watch the trailer for Fifty Shades of Grey, you wouldn't recognize him, and I think that's pretty cool. So uh, you go, Jamie, Jamie Dornan. <laughs> you know, I and mean. Can I- can I also say how great it was to see Archie Punjabi return on her black oh, motorcycle? And it was very reminiscent of that ancient Gina Tay commercial where she takes off her helmet and you realize it's a woman with the long flowy hair and she's come back. Yeah, but to she's us this playing time. the same role she plays in The Good Wife. Really? Come on. Well, you know, at least I mean, doesn't this time she she's deserve a- to be another person other than the investigator? I mean, it isn't much of a leap going from the investigator to the pathologist where she gets to keep her leather jackets. Um, But I've enjoyed her in everything I've ever seen her in. Well, and the other thing is, you know, you keep waiting to see her Belfast accent because everybody is supposed to be from there and she doesn't do it. I don't know if she doesn't do it because she can't do it. Or what? Well, I but thought she that definitely... was interesting, too, that at least, you know, like people like Gillian Anderson, because it is still the UK, they can come over from places like London. So to me, it wasn't... Right. Um, you know, so discordant that she might be British who came to Belfast for a better job. Right. And again, the season one is only six, I think six or seven episodes. So, uh, you know, it's easily watchable. It's on Netflix. And now season two does premiere again on January 16th on Netflix. So uh, if you haven't seen season one, you have to see season one. Don't start watching season two if you haven't seen season one. But it certainly is something that uh, that if you like... You like tension, and I, I read somewhere that somebody said, uh, don't watch the first episode at night alone. And I thought, ah, oh, it's sort of stupid. Um, but, <laughs> but the truth is, the way he gets into people's houses is sort of creepy, and how it easy is it is. Creepy. Yep, um, and I have and to again, tell you, I, I, I don't lock my house very well, so... 
not that I should tell people that, but because now you know anybody might come and get in. But uh, but I do, uh, you know it is it is really 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 well done. It's very frightening. Kudos to the writing, the acting, yes. the editing, because um, it is true that you see a scene where a woman is getting strangled on her bed. And then you cut to the police who are right outside her home, leaving her a message on her answering machine, not knowing that the killer is inside. You see it from the point of view of the killer, where we become the eyes of the murderer stalking someone through her bedroom. And it cuts to a blood-curdling scream, and you realize it's the serial killer's son having a bad dream. Even the scene where uh, the one of the women who's been killed, her sister, calls 911 after finding the body... And we see that 911 call from the uh, the operator at 911. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. watch her handle the call right up to the point that the police arrive. And then we see her hang up and take another call. And I it's such a unique, so well yes, and mm-hmm. unique way to present what's pre- been presented a million times before, but never with from quite that POV. And I don't know if that was the director or the writer or what have you, but whoever did it, it was such a good way to show us another, another place. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really felt like that put me in the moment where you hear the operator say, I hear the sirens. That must be them. They're pulling up. Can you see the car? And I really, you know, my heart was racing, feeling like I was right there while the sister has her newborn baby with her, you know, once she witnesses the dead sister. Um, And you're right. When she had to go on and take that next call, I felt like we were getting this inside glance into what it's really like to hold down these jobs. It was riveting. I can't remember where I read this, but uh, but this is BBC's highest ranking drama in the last 10 years. That's... That's pretty. That's a pretty amazing statistic. A couple of other little minor pieces of trivia. Jamie Dornan again, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Can't wait to review that. You have to see that movie. I'm going to make you see it, even if you don't want to. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Dornan originally auditioned for a part of a police officer, but then they called him back in and said, "We think you should be the villain." And I thought that was interesting. And many of the characters are named after brands or makers of guitars. Really? Yeah, Gibson, Spectre. (laughs) That was pretty funny. I would not have noticed that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Wow. (laughs) I know. I just, you know, just a little bit of trivia for you from me with love. And (laughs) it's just really well done, really well directed, really well written, really well acted. Uh, Kudos to the fall for sure. We hope you all go ahead and see it. 